We are especially glad this morning to have Chris Graber, Christopher Graber. Uh, he uh, is the evangelist uh, for the Twin Cities, uh, uh, South Twin Cities Church in uh, Minnesota. And uh, he's, uh, his wife is Evie. Uh, they have five boys. Uh, we've got all kinds of future preacher training folks <laughs> coming from that family. And we're, we're glad to have them. Uh, Chris was a great student while he's here. He continued to gain all kinds of education uh, since that time. He has a BA in communication and speech, uh, and uh, particularly in mass media. Uh, he also has, uh, this is from Bethel College. His, uh, he has won a number of uh, awards in speech and debate. Uh, he has a, a BA degree in theology from Bear Valley, as we mentioned. He also has a master's in New Testament from uh, Fried Hardeman University uh, and uh, has won some other awards. But the main thing is uh, he's a gospel preacher, and that's the main thing. Well, not only with all this technical stuff, I want to give one thing that I think is really uh, illustrated in Chris and his father-in-law, is uh, the fellow who led the prayer. This school was established to try to help churches in the Northwest, Midwest, and this area uh, to train them because uh, th there were so few churches. This school was started in 1965. Uh, and I think there, his family is a good illustration of that. Uh, Chris grew up in uh, Kansas. Uh, he met his wife online, who's a daughter of Randy Martin. Randy and uh, Dan uh, Mayfield uh, went and started the church in Owatonna, Minnesota. Uh, and so it's just simply, and they've been there. He's moved over to South Twin Peaks Church, uh, South uh, Twin Cities Church. Been there many years. I think it's an illustration of exactly what this school is about. To try to help churches in this uh, area of the Midwest, Northwest, uh, where the church was so uh, few and far between. Uh, and uh, this is a good illustration of this family that went there, established a church, stayed in a great in a field of where mission work is needed. Appreciate that, and he's had a great influence, I know, on Chris. We look forward to the message that Chris will deliver us at this time. It was April of 2016. <laughs> Evie and I were in our, our early 30s. We were living every day with enthusiasm and thankfulness. If you know anything about my wife, Evie, like she is the most, probably the most enthusiastic, happy, and thankful person you will ever meet. Yeah. Uh, and it has rubbed off on me. And that, that's what we were doing. It, it was a wonderful time in our life. Um, we were surrounded by faithful Christian family. Um, working with a, a strong and highly supportive church family in the, in the mission field of Minnesota, as, as Brother Berger mentioned. Um, I was beginning my 10th year of ministry with the same congregation. And that's, I mean, that's a pretty big deal coming out of school where you're the same place 10 years. Amen. It, it, it was wonderful. 
we were uh, working uh, as, as the, the church secretary and also working as an in-home daycare provider. We were surrounded by all of our family and our friends. I mean, everybody in our life, they were thriving in the Lord, doing well. It, we were truly, we were living our dream in so many ways. A few years prior to this point, we got our dream home to raise our five young sons, right? And, and homeschool them, like everything, every box. When we enthusiastically came to Bear Valley in 2005, if we could have created like a dream list, this is what we want to happen. This is what we want our life to look like. In 2016, it was just like the pinnacle. Like it, it couldn't, we couldn't have scripted it better. Living our dream. And Evie had just given birth to Elisha, our fifth son. And, and she was at home. She was recovering. But the recovery wasn't going as it has with previous pregnancies. Now, Evie was obviously in her 30s at this point, And so we're thinking, okay, I mean, maybe that's a part of it. Um, but she's bonding really well. Elisha's super healthy, super happy, our, our youngest son. And she's bonding. But the time was approaching where normally she would return to work. Uh, with her in-home childcare business that, that she was running. And, and she just still had this incredible fatigue, just pounding headaches and, and trouble with her vision. And just knowing Evie with previous pregnancies, like she always has headaches after pregnancies. The hormonal changes, and I'm sure a lot of you are probably familiar with some of that. Fatigue, not a big surprise <laughs> after pregnancies. But it, it was just continuing. It was persistent and different. And so just we decided that, okay, we're going to go to the doctor just to, to make sure that, that nothing is going on and sure nothing serious was happening. So we had, the doctor was like, yeah, it seems like this is probably normal, but let's have an MRI just to be safe and, and just give us some reassurance that, okay, everything is fine. And so we go, we have this uh, trip to the, the hospital where we have this MRI just to be safe and wait for results and reassurance with, with our family. And we're waiting there. It's taking, it seems like quite a long time. And then finally, a visibly shaken doctor walks into the room. They found a mass in Evie's brain the size of a small grapefruit. And they were going to have to have surgery to remove it immediately. And so just like that, a whirlwind hit our family. An ambulance ride, emergency brain surgery, several brain scans, five days in the hospital recovering. And then we finally return home to wait for the results of the tumor biopsy. And Christians from around the world prayed with us. They were asking God at this point that the tumor would be benign. The tumor was different. I mean, the doctors that were looking at it, they're like, this is strange. We don't really know. Just looking at this, what this is, it's very large, but we, we're just, we're baffled. And so we've been waiting for, for a week, just with prayer and fasting, <laughs> wanting to know, you know, what's going on and praying. Just, okay, we're going through this trial, but if it would be benign, we had five young boys to raise and newborn, all these things. And then we got the call. Evie was diagnosed with a rare, aggressive, and incurable brain cancer. The course of our lives would change from that day forward. Radiation, chemotherapy, countless blood draws. The closing of Evie's childcare business. Brain scans every three to four months for the rest of her life. And, and what we, we, we figured out very quickly is that our world was going to be very different going forward. We were assured that with treatment, it would prolong her life. It would prolong her life, but... Even with treatment, we were told the majority of people with what she has, this aggressive, rare brain cancer, three to five years is about what you get. 
Certainly, our family is not unique. Christian families commonly go through trials like these and far worse. And I bring up this story because in times like these, when we pray fervently, when we pray even desperately for something and things don't turn out the way we would have scripted it, it's important that we understand the relationship between the Bible and trust. The text that I'm going to be using to explore this concept is Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In this passage, in this concept, they are very familiar, I'm sure, for all of us. However, getting beyond the familiarity to actually understanding and applying passages like these is critical if we're going to survive with our faith in times of great trial where our world is just turned upside down. At least it feels that way. The relationship between the Bible and trust, it begins with a choice to trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that's how we're going to divide this, this up. We're going to look, trust at the Lord with all your heart. That's going to be the first thing we talk about. And leaning not on your own understanding is two. So first beginning, trusting in the Lord with all your heart. This idea of trusting in the Lord, that's how it starts. This idea of the Hebrew word for trust, it comes from a word that means firm. Carries with it the, the idea of, of reliability, feeling secure, in, in confident in something or in someone. And surprise, in the English language, it's the same. You look it up in Webster's, it's got the same words. An assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, and truth of someone or something. The Greek word for faith could similarly be translated trust. So you think about the relationship between the Bible and trust. It's the relationship between the Bible and faith. They're the same word in the Greek language. And so when we say we have faith in God, as we all claim faith in God, it is a statement of our trust and our confidence in God, in, in his perfect will, in his perfect plan. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So with faith, there is this assured, this convicted trust that we're talking about, a trust in our God. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. This conviction that he exists, though we can't see him. But we're told about it in the Bible, and so we do. From the Bible, we have this confidence, this trust that he exists. And also, Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So, though unseen, we have this conviction from the Bible... That, that God is responsible for this creation, for everything that we see. His creation, his activity, we have this conviction. And, and we're convicted also from the word of God. We are convicted about our future hope and our hope in the Lord's return. I got to go one more slide. Get you guys caught up here. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. By faith, we don't grieve. A lot in this passage. By faith, we don't grieve as those who were without hope because of what we know from the Scriptures, from God's Word. By faith, we trust that the Lord will return and we will spend forever with Him. Mm-hmm. We have this trust, this confidence, and it all comes from God's Word. Things that we trust. And it all goes back to the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. We talk about the relationship between the Bible and trust. It goes back to the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. His Word brings us to faith. His Word brings us to trust. Acts 14, 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. The spoken word, the word of God being spoken to others brought them to belief or trust. Trust in the Lord. Luke. Um, Did I? No, you got it. It's just on the side. All right, Luke. 16, 29 through 31. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. This is the rich man in Lazarus. The rich man, he's, he's in torment, and he wants to go warn his family of what's to come if they don't repent. But notice what is said. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them and from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So God, through Moses and the prophets, that's what brings people to faith, to belief, to trust in God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it as the word of, of God, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So it was the word of God that they received that brought them to faith. And so the truth is, when we look at all of this, the truth is that we simply can't come to know God. And we simply can't come to know how to trust God. Or what it looks like to trust God. And what can be trusted from God unless it is revealed to us through His Word. Amen. His Word provides us with the evidence and the information that brings us to the point that we understand who our God is and what can be expected. And so without this direction from His Word, our expectations are going to end up misguided. What we believe about God is just probably going to miss the mark. It's speculative at best. And so we need to understand... That there is a causal relationship between proper trust in God and the Bible. The Bible brings you to the point of trusting in God. And it shows you what can be trusted, what can be counted on, what you can take to the bank, the promises of God, what can be expected of God. And then Proverbs 3, 5, you trust in the Lord, it says, with all your heart. The Hebrew word for heart is one that means one's inner self, one's entire inner being, the seat of emotions. The word for all, of course, is all. All All-encompassing. Everything that you are, you trust in the Lord. So for this trust that we have, if it's going to be biblical, if it's going to be the way that the Word of God instructs us, it's going to have to be all-encompassing. Everything inside of us, our entire being, all of our emotions, everything within us is going to be governed by this trust in the Lord. We don't second-guess Him. We don't second-guess His Word. And we don't certainly don't entertain the idea that there could be a better way mm. than His way. Amen. Because we trust Him, and our trust in Him, it frames who we are when we decide to live for Jesus. 
When we trust in the Lord with all our heart, we're going to be looking to his word for everything. And so there's this inescapable conclusion that if our whole heart is governed by this complete all your heart trust in the Lord, then our entire life is going to be governed by a devotion to his word. You can't separate it. Mm-hmm. That's the relationship between the Bible and trust. It's causal and inseparable. Mm-hmm. The second part. Proverbs 3, 5 says, do not lean on your own understanding. And that's, that's I mean, it makes a lot of sense. If you trust in the Lord, that's where your trust is. It's not going to be in your own Understanding And as familiar as this passage is, though often in practice, it feels like people understand this to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart to grant your understanding. Mm -hmm. To grant it. And sometimes people think that their trust in the Lord, it can be separate from the the, the word of God and and from the will of God. And they, they believe at some level that God places his devotion to us and our desires above the scope of his perfect will. And that's simply not biblical. Mm-hmm. Along these lines, some treat God almost like a divine genie. Mm-hmm. Where if it's the right formula, you say the right prayer at the right time, or you have the right amount of trust that, that what you want to happen is going to happen, then it will happen. It's just you got to approach the genie in the right way. But in reality, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart, looking to his word, we should know that God does not operate that way. And ultimately... His devotion to his perfect will, what's within the scope of that will, comes above all else. For example, it's hard to fathom the love the Father had for his Son, Jesus Christ. The the divine Son in the flesh who lived completely, flawlessly for the will of God. Hard to fathom that love, yet, because of God's ultimate devotion to his holy will, Isaiah 53.10 says, The Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. When Jesus prayed three times in Matthew 26, 39 through 44, it says, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. There is no doubt the Father heard him in the garden. The Father loved him to a level that we can't comprehend. A perfect love. Yet the Father's will was done, and the cup could not pass. Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. God heard Jesus' loud cries. The text makes that plain. He could have stopped it all if he wanted to. If that was within the scope of God's will, if that was... More important is probably the right word. More important than the the scheme of redemption, than the plan of salvation. But God's ultimate plan of salvation that was at work from from the time of the fall, from before human history began, it was more important. And so our trust in the Lord with all our heart has to be governed by this fact. Our God is not going to sacrifice what he is most devoted to. The plan of redemption was more important. I think we all get that. Right? Jesus didn't want to die on the cross in the flesh, but God's will was within the scope of that will to redeem and save man. That took precedent mm-hmm. at that time. And, but then seeing that and understanding that we need to connect some dots about ourselves. Mm-hmm. If God is not going to make an exception for his holy, his perfect, beloved son, what reason is there to believe that God is going to defy something within the scope of his will for us? Amen. Mm-hmm. 1 John 
5, 14 through 16. I'm not going to dig deep into the meaning of this text, just point out some observations here. 1 John chapter 5, 14 through 16 says, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Then verse 16 says, If anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. And so John tells us, again, we have this confidence when we ask according to God's will for things within the scope of God's will that we are, we are heard, we have these requests. But notice verse 16, at the same time, he makes it clear there are certain things that are not within the scope of God's will that you don't ask for. Those committing a sin leading to death. And it's true that God loves us more than we could ever imagine, but it doesn't mean that he's going to act out of character to fulfill our desires. And it's fundamental. We can't separate a trust in God's will from his word recorded for us in the Bible from trusting him with all our heart. And part of the cost of discipleship also is this willingness to set aside our will for the Lord's. It's, it's fundamental to what we take on when we become a Christian. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, Luke 9, 23. This means we have died to serving our desires, the desires of our heart and chosen to live for God's will and glory. That's, it's part of the count of co- that we cost, the, the cost that we count. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5, once again, do not lean on your own understanding. It should also remind us how emphatic the Bible is about how untrustworthy our own heart and understanding are when it, when it says this. God tells us, I mean, I have all of these scriptures on one slide for really for effect, and this is not all of them, but just to remind us of how unreliable it is when we trust in ourselves and we trust what we want and we think what we want is best. Jeremiah 10, 23, God tells us that it is not in man to direct his steps. We're told that there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And we're told that twice within two chapters there for for just so we we get it. So it sinks in Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. God unmistakably states he who trusts in his own heart is a fool in Proverbs 28, 26. The prophet Jeremiah called those who walked in the stubbornness of their own hearts, wicked people, part of what made them wicked. Jeremiah 13, 10. He pronounced the heart more deceitful than all else in Jeremiah 17.9. We trust in the Lord with all our heart because our own heart is beyond flawed. Mm-hmm. When it's not devoted to the Lord's will. Mm-hmm. When we're not trusting with our heart completely in the Lord's way and we're off on our way, we're going to get nowhere but trouble. Mm-hmm. And now making this personal again. Thinking back to April of 2016, our family prayed fervently that our desires would be in accordance with God's will. I had an understanding that brain cancer for my wife, Evie, and for the mother of our five young boys was not how I would choose for the future to unfold for God's glory and for the cause of his kingdom. And I try, I, I think oftentimes our prayers, I don't think are kingdom centered enough when we approach God. And I tried my prayers I, for, for the work of the kingdom, for God's glorification. I just, I couldn't see how brain cancer for Evie would help 
my five boys grow to serve the kingdom. I, I, I thought it would be better this way. The fact that she has this joyful spirit, everyone she meets. If you've never met Evie, you need to go meet her. <laughs> Spend some time and talk with her, and you will know exactly what I mean. Talk to the waitress at our restaurant this morning, and you ask her about Evie. <laughs> I tried staying kingdom-focused. I had what I thought would be the right way. I prayed. I fasted. Fasted for a week, waiting for these answers. The prayers that we had, the prayers of so many others, reflected this, yet brain cancer was the outcome. And it's likely that you all probably have similar situations you have faced. Amen. Where God's answers, they don't fit your understanding. Mm -hmm. They may baffle you. And it's times like these that the truth of Proverbs 3.5 is so important for us to understand. I don't know exactly why God answered our prayers the way he did, but I know I can. Uh, but I can know that it's not our place to second guess him and what is not within the scope of his will from the position of our understanding. In that way, it's not our place to judge God in what is and is not within the scope of his will, what takes place. And I also want to offer everyone here a caution about comforting others from the position of your own understanding. Mm -hmm. When you go through a trial like this, you receive a lot of comfort. And I, I, can't, I can't really put into words the amount of encouragement we receive from so many people. Probably people in this room. I, I don't know all of you, but I, I would not be surprised. Mm -hmm. So many cards from people we don't even know. A multitude of Christians from eight different countries mm -hmm. were praying for us, praying with us. Mm -hmm. Countless prayers offered on our behalf. More than 130 families sent cards like these when we started this trial. Families organized fundraisers. We had three different fundraisers. Evie had to close her childcare business. And we didn't ask for anything. But the brethren were on it. Mm -hmm. Three fundraisers. Other people not setting up fundraisers, but just providing for our needs in other ways, be it monetarily. A friend of ours like, well, if I can't give you money, I'm going to buy you a vehicle. Like, for, for your kids, I'm going to do something. Like, God's people just rushing to help. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom. Well, maybe I'll get there. <laughs> Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We saw that. As we were seeking first the kingdom, we saw God's love alive in his people, providing us with anything that we might need in powerful ways, his care constant through them. However, we did see this trust in the Lord with all your heart. <clears throat> to grant your own understanding mentality also on full display, and it was kind of discouraging. Mm. We had many well-intending people that tried to comfort and assure us that God will, he will answer our prayers in a certain way, brethren, brothers and sisters in the church. He, he will answer our prayers in the way that we ask, and God will heal Evie's cancer. It's a certainty as long as you just trust in the Lord and you pray to the Lord, she will beat it. You just have to have faith that she will beat it. He will do it. Multiple Christians telling us these things. And I appreciate, I, I do, I appreciate the hearts of people who reached out. I mean, it takes a heart that loves a brother or a sister to reach out and try to comfort them in a huge trial like this. So I appreciate that heart. 
but the audacity within these statements and the false hope that can come from these kinds of words is both heartbreaking and even faith crushing. Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 1 Corinthians 2.11 The thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. The fact is that none of us, no one can speak as certainties the plans of God where He has not already spoken in His Word. The implication of these kinds of statements that are promising this kind of hope, if, if we just have enough faith, whether intentional or not, is that if the doctors are correct about Evie's prognosis, if the doctors are correct, then there's a failure in Evie's faith or there's a failure in God's care. Those are the two options. Meaning that we would be left to grieve if we believe these words from, from, from brethren that are well-intending, if we took it as, as uh, well, they know what they're talking about. If I just believe enough or I trust God enough, it's going to happen. We'd be left to grieve with the heartbreaking understanding that it's our own fault. We just didn't have enough faith. We didn't have enough faith. Or the faith-crushing understanding that it's a lack of God's love and care, that He's distant. Mm-hmm. He's removed from our lives and doesn't care. But in reality, trusting in the Lord means when things don't go as we would have designed, we completely trust in the way that God will accomplish His design. But I I don't want to give you the impression that that was the overwhelming majority of people. Get there. We had people that comforted us in in our situation without promising us of an outcome. Mm They reminded us to trust in the Lord and His perfect will and His faithfulness to His promises that are detailed in the Bible. Those things that you can count on. Reminded us of those things. They reminded us that no matter the outcome, God is faithful to His Word. To His promises that are in His Word, we can count on those. And For instance, we can count on the fact that God will work all things together for the ultimate spiritual good. Romans 8.28 We don't know what that's going to look like, but He's active in whatever does happen for ultimate spiritual good. And He will take care of us no matter what. When we seek first His kingdom, Matthew 6.33, trusting God's promises recorded in the Bible is what trusting the Lord with all our hearts looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God never said that He would be our personal wish granter, but He is our, favor, our, 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 our faithful God mm-hmm. who will always keep His promises. And we've seen this. We're now six and a half years. They said three to five is what's, what's typical. We're six and a half now. Mm-hmm. And we've seen God working things together for good. We know that, that trials bring perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope that doesn't disappoint. We know this, Romans chapter 5, 3 through 4. We know that God uses trials to produce faith maturation, James chapter 1, 2 through 5. We know all these concepts. We've experienced these concepts. Through Evie's trial, Evie and I have both, we've received humbling attitude adjustments. <laughs> but we were, like I said, we thought we were on top of the world. Like, this is everything that we wanted. So confident. It, 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 was, it was beneficial to give us some humility. We've learned valuable lessons, gained a greater appreciation for the time that we do have, a greater appreciation for the fact that this world is not our home. Mm-hmm. 
in that time that we have on earth to accomplish his will. We don't know how long it's going to be. It puts it in perspective. When you have a number attached to your life, you start to think about those things, about that time you have and what you want to do with it. And in reality, we all have numbers attached to our heads. We just don't get told what they are. Amen. But when you are, it wakes you up a bit in a good way. We've heard from other brothers and sisters who were going through faith testing struggles that were encouraged in part by our example to persevere. And I want to take a look at, at 1 Peter 5 9. It says, But resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Mm-hmm. When other people see you persevere through suffering, Whatever it is, I mean, this is I mean, being attacked by, by the, the, the wiles of the devil, but the same experiences of, of suffering. There is an emboldening effect that takes place. When they see you do it and they see you persevering through it and your faith unwavering through it, then they're, they're, they're emboldened. I can do that too. I can, I can get through this too. And therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that a God that's more devoted to the spiritual good will allow a grief-inducing trial when the end result is more souls that are persevering and ultimately giving glory to God. Someone who wouldn't have made it without your example, whatever you went through, they saw you make it, it emboldened them to make it, now both you and them are making it. Where maybe without your example, they don't make it. God sees that whole picture. He wants souls saved. A bigger picture. An example from Scripture. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-9, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. And we could spend a lot of time talking about what we think it might be. Uh, but this is not the place for that. <laughs> and it's not the point. The point here is that God had greater spiritual purposes for allowing what took place for Paul. This thing that the text says was tormenting Paul. Paul prayed repeatedly for its removal, but he came to that understanding that the Lord had these greater purposes to accomplish through that, what the text describes as torment. It kept him from the kind of prideful self-exaltation that can't coexist with faith. So, the work for the kingdom would have suffered if this was not allowed. And so in a way, what he described as torment was in fact a gift for Paul and a gift for all of us to receive the benefit of his work and his labor. That torment was a gift. And the more you are in the faith, the longer that you are in the faith, the more you hear about things like this. A few years before Ebby's diagnosis, it took terminal lung cancer for her grandfather to be humbled to the point of being receptive and listening to the gospel. Father-in-law Randy spent countless hours studying with his father because his father was finally at the point where he would sit down and listen after getting that kind of a wake-up call. And cancer did eventually take his life, but he, devote, he, he died devoted to the cause of Christ with every ounce of, of his strength. 
going through treatments where the man shouldn't be driving. He's in his car just so he can get to church because his mentality is I can be miserable at home or I can go be with the brethren and praise my God. That's where he got and it took terminal lung cancer to get there. And shortly before he died, he made the statement that he believed cancer, this, this tormenting cancer that was making it so he couldn't breathe. That this cancer was the greatest gift God had ever given him. Because he knew without it, he wouldn't have woken up to the purpose of life and it would have all been for nothing. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to not leaning on our own understanding, whatever we might find ourselves going through, when you think about your life, the sufferings that you might be going through, if it seems like your prayers aren't being answered and how you would choose, there's a lot of things that could be going on that you just don't know about. Could be that God knows that your level of faith that it needs it, it would benefit from the weakness. It would benefit from the humbling like like Evie and I did. It could be that he knows that you need that. It could be that he's using it to keep us faithful in that way or another brother or sister. This whole thing for Evie, I've thought about this. Like There have been people that have reached out to us that have said that they didn't think that they would make it or that they they turned their, like, kind of repented of some things in, in the face of, of what Evie was, was going through and it made them really think about their spiritual life. If it's just one soul that now is saved because of this cancer, that's two souls in heaven where it would have only been one beforehand. Mm-hmm. And having that perspective... We just don't know what God's doing when we suffer. Indeed, His ways are not always our ways, but here's the thing. We can always absolutely trust Him with all our heart that no matter what's going on, He's got the whole thing in view and it's not escaping His notice and He's got His reasons. And we trust Him. And right now, like I said, our family is more than six years into this trial and we are thankful for every day that God has given us together. We don't presume to know what the future will hold, but we live each day day with that aim to to completely trust God with his promises, his word, what it reveals. We have the comfort of knowing that whatever time he does give us is going to be enough for us to glorify him in our life and do whatever he has for us to to accomplish in this life. He's going to give us enough time for his purposes. And that's our story. But we all have stories. In the common thread, in my story, in your story, in everyone's story that is here, is that it will come down to a critical choice that we all have to make. Will you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Will you? When the whirlwind comes, What's going to happen? The critical choice, what will you make? And the main idea, we have to understand that our reliance on the Bible as our guide is inseparable from our trust in the Lord, counting on what he has told us, but not presuming to know what he hasn't revealed. And that is the relationship between the Bible and trust. Whatever trials we face, no matter the outcome, we can always find peace knowing that our God will always be faithful Mm -hmm. and we can always count on his word. Amen. 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 Our theme for this lectureship is cling to trust, hope and trust in difficult times. All the lessons have been good, but I don't think you'll find one more practical than this one. (laughs) 
this touched us all. Thank you, Chris, for a fantastic message. Let's uh, have a closing prayer. And the next session will be at uh, 1030. So we've got a, a few minutes. Oh, holy God in heaven, how powerful you are. How magnificent in knowledge, wise in actions. We're so mindful, Father, of your work in our lives as we've seen it in the Graber family. We're grateful for you sparing her life. We're grateful for the good that her suffering has done. We ask you now to continue to give her many years yet of service in the kingdom. We're thankful for this family and the good they've done, for the influence they're having not only around them, but especially through their sons. We recognize Father, and he's helped us understand that we must trust in you and that we learn about you and your promises through your word. Help each of us to leave this room with a greater determination to know your will and to trust in your guidance. We ask, Father, for forgiveness of sins. We pray that you'll watch over and care for us. We're thankful for this lectureship and the hope that it's giving everyone. We ask your blessing upon all the speakers, all who are listening. We pray that through this, the world will be made a better place. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As I said, got a few minutes, and of course, you got several choices at the 1030 hour. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>